Well, good evening and welcome to the Sunday night worship service here at the Sweetwater Baptist Church. We are delighted that you have chosen to be with us tonight by means of live stream and the internet through Facebook and the website. Thank you so very much for joining us uh, this evening. On Sunday nights, we've been making our way each and every Sunday evening to the Holy Land. And tonight we're going to the city of Jerusalem and I want to invite you to take your Bibles tonight and to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7 this evening. Tonight we are at the letter L and we're going to be looking at the Lion's Gate tonight, the Lion's Gate. Now around the city of Jerusalem there are eight gates. And in a few moments, I'll be talking about each one of those gates. Uh, I've got pictures of six of them, two of them, the New Gate and the Herod's, and Herod's Gate. Uh, we will not be talking about necessarily. Uh, but before we begin our journey, let's bow together for a moment of prayer. Father, we love you this evening. What a privilege to be able to go to Jerusalem tonight. Father, one of my favorite places in all of the world. And Father, this evening as we study about the lion's gate and specifically about Stephen, that God, you would speak to us, encourage us tonight, help us to be followers of Christ just like Stephen was. And so bless our time together. Thank you for those who are joining us by means of internet. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. The text tonight that we're going to use together is Acts chapter 7. I want to read verses 54 uh, through 60. However, keep your Bibles open because we're going to be looking at all of chapter 7 uh, tonight together. But in verse 54 it says, And when they heard these things, talking about the Sanhedrin, talking about the religious leaders and the Jewish people, uh, Stephen had been preaching, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, referring to Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. That means they covered them up and ran upon him with one accord. Now look at verse 58. And cast him out of the city. Cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Tonight we're going to be journeying around the walls of Jerusalem. 
We're going to come back to this particular gate called the Lion's Gate, but let me make the connection for you. It tells us down here in verse 58 that they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Tradition tells us that it was near this gate because actually this particular wall and the gates we're going to look at were built in the 16th century during the Ottoman Empire, but it was at this very location that another gate was there called the St. Stephen's Gate, and this Lion's Gate is called the St. Stephen's Gate because it was here that Stephen was cast out of the city and he was stoned. Now, as I've mentioned, when we go to Israel and Hopefully you'll have that opportunity to go with me sometime and I'll show you uh, these gates. There are eight of them. Tonight I want to show you six of them. The first one is what's called the Zion Gate, referring to the city of Zion, which is Jerusalem. Now, the Zion Gate actually years ago was the border with Jordan, the country of Jordan. And tonight, if you'll look closely, you can see bullet holes all around uh, that gate. Uh, cars still drive through that gate. It's kind of hard to believe that, as small as it is. But uh, they'll come through there out of the old city. But this is called the Zion Gate. The next gate is called the Jaffa Gate. Uh, back in February and the first part of March, I was in the city of Jerusalem and uh, there uh, doing some writing and working on these messages and, and going back over some things related to our study together, I stayed not far from the Jaffa Gate. The Jaffa Gate is near the Citadel of David. In fact, I had the privilege of, of uh, touring the Citadel of David while I was there. But this is called the Jaffa Gate. The next gate, which is the closest to the Wailing Wall, as well as the Temple Mount, is called the Dung Gate. The reason it has that name, the Dung Gate, is because it was out of this gate where refuge and waste was brought, and uh, they would use this particular gate as a means of disposing of trash and uh, all of the dung and necessary things that had to be disposed of uh, in the city. Thus, it became known as the Dung Gate. The next gate, in my opinion, is the most beautiful gate of all of them. It's called the Damascus Gate. It is the busiest of all of the gates, and it comes out of the Muslim quarter. Uh, you can see it's much more elaborate and uh, it seems better protected, uh, the walls there. But when you go through this gate, uh, as these individuals are walking through it, it's not far from there where you come to the garden tomb where uh, is perhaps one of the sites of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, perhaps a gate that all of you have heard about is called the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. And this gate, if we were allowed to go through it, you'll notice that it is walled up now because the Muslims heard that one day a Messiah would come and walk through that gate, so they walled it up, and uh, however, that won't stop our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he does return 
to the Mount of Olives and walks down the Kidron Valley over into the city of Jerusalem. He's going right through the eastern gate. Uh, there's also a Muslim cemetery there. I spent a lot of time in that cemetery when I was over there back in the winter. And, uh, but this is a beautiful picture of the eastern gate, the golden gate it is sometimes referred to. But tonight we want to talk about the lion's gate. Now, the reason it's called the lion's gate, and this gate uh, allows you to approach the city from the east, two gates on the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem, one being the eastern gate, that golden gate we looked at a moment ago that's been walled up, and then the lion's gate. Now, the reason it's called the lion's gate is because really of these, they're not even lions, they're tigers. But if you'll notice in the uh, picture to your right, uh, you have a picture of these two lions. They have been mislabeled. They're actually tigers looking at one another. And uh, tradition tells us that during uh, the Ottoman Empire, that the Ottoman Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent had a dream of lions that were surrounding the throne of King David and King Solomon and that he ordered that these lions be placed there at this particular gate. Thus it has become known as the Lion's Gate. We know it as St. Stephen's Gate. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Years ago, I was with a retired Israeli soldier, and uh, he was telling me about during the Six-Day War in 1967, uh, which uh, Israel didn't stand a chance, but they won that war. God was on their side, and uh, as a result, they were able to uh, capture and overtake the old city of Jerusalem. But he told me the story that he was one of the first to arrive there. He was actually a paratrooper that the tanks had rolled in as well and that a tank had gotten stuck in this gate, that the tank tried to get through the gate and you may not be able to see it on your picture. Uh, perhaps you can with the one with the tigers uh, or the lions, uh, the bullet holes there. But during the Six-Day War, uh, the paratroopers had, had fallen out of the sky, came parachuting out, and of course the tanks were moving in, and they got here, and they couldn't get through because of that tank. Well, they had to crawl over the tank, and they were making their way uh, to the Temple Mount, and that all occurred during the Six-Day War. Now, I have called this St. Stephen's Gate. I've mentioned it several times, and the Bible tells us in verse 58 that they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The very first martyr, Christian martyr, was Stephen. This man that we read about here in Acts chapter 7. The Apostle Paul is preaching in Acts chapter 22, and in verse 20, he calls him a martyr. Now, what is a martyr? Well, the definition of a martyr literally means a witness. So here is Stephen dying for the cause of Christ, but yet being a great witness for the Lord Jesus. 
So I want to talk about Stephen for a little bit tonight and uh, what does the Bible say about him and what do we learn about him here in Acts 6 and Acts chapter 7. There are three things that I want to call to your attention tonight as we think about the lion's gate, as we think about his tragic death. Number one, I want to call to your attention the service of Stephen. The service of Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, the chapter before the one we're in, there we have the occasion in which the apostles come together and they realize they have a problem. The problem is the church is growing so fast that the widows are being neglected. So the disciples come together, the apostles, and after prayerfully considering, uh, considering this matter through much consideration, uh, they, being led of God, elect the first deacons. Now, just about every church, every denomination has deacons. Some have elders. But the Bible talks about the first deacons. And one of those first deacons was this man, Stephen. He's in that group. And we read about this in Acts 6, verses 1 through 15. There's a list given, and if you go back and read it, you're going to find the name of Stephen. So what is a deacon? What does that name mean or that term mean? Well, deacon is the Greek word diakonos, and it literally means a servant, a servant. So the Bible tells us that here was a servant of God. Now tonight as believers we are reminded that we are in the service of God. What a privilege, what an honor to be in the service of the Lord. All Christians can serve the Lord in some capacity. Maybe you're at home and you're saying, well I can't do anything, I'm homebound or I'm in a nursing home or I'm a shut-in. You can do a whole lot, you can pray. That's your ministry. Uh, you can write cards. You can make telephone calls. And so it doesn't necessarily mean of serving uh, in a church, even though many of you do that. Some of you serve by teaching a Sunday school class, or you serve on a committee, or you serve in the leadership of the Sweetwater Church, or wherever you go to church, and, and that's your service. That's your ministry. But wherever God has placed you, you are to serve God to the utmost of your ability. You are to serve Him willingly. Do you remember when Isaiah was in the temple and he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he heard the angels proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then he heard the voice of God saying, Who will we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah raised his hand and he said, Here am I, Lord. Sin me. He was willing to serve his Lord. Tonight, serve the Lord willingly. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be enthusiastic about your service to God. We're living in a day and time where people don't have enthusiasm or zeal when it comes to their service to God. They don't have it when it comes to their business or their profession or their job. They're just trying to get through the day. But no matter what we're doing for the Lord, we ought to do it enthusiastically. We ought to do it passionately. 
from our hearts. The Bible talks about that in Ephesians 6, 6, serving the Lord from your heart. You ought to have a passion about it. Have you ever, you can tell the difference between a person that's going through the motions just to get by and a person that's passionate about somebody or about something, whatever they're doing. They have this passion, they have this drive about them. And so don't just simply try to get through something, but rather have passion about it. Serve the Lord gladly. I don't know about you, but I'm glad, I'm honored in serving the Lord. I've been serving the Lord now for a long time, longer than I want to admit, but uh, for over 30 years now I've been a pastor. It's hard to believe, it's hard for me to... To even say that, but I'm as enthusiastic and glad and passionate about serving Christ now than I was when I was a 22-year-old young man when God called me uh, to my very first church. So serve Him gladly. Serve Him loyally. Let your allegiance, your loyalty be to Almighty God. Uh, and then serve Him faithfully. Serve Him faithfully. Be faithful to God. I think about what Joshua said to the Israelites, those Hebrew children that had conquered the Holy Land, the Promised Land. He gathered them all together. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we need to serve God just like Stephen did. Now, the greatest example of servanthood is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. You remember after the Lord's Supper, uh, the Last Supper, sometimes we call it, that Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples at the upper room. By the way, one of the studies we're going to have when we get to the letter U is of the upper room. So after they finish their meal... Jesus takes a wash basin and a towel and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. I had the privilege of graduating from North Greenville University. And when you drive up onto the campus of North Greenville University, there is a beautiful statue of Jesus washing the feet of Simon Peter. As a reminder, as Christians, we are servants, and those who are studying for ministry are servants of the living God and to the people of God. And after Jesus washed their feet, in John 13, verses 14 and 15, here's what he said. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. So Jesus gives to us the greatest model, the greatest example of servanthood. So when we talk about Stephen, we've got to talk about the service of Stephen. But now there's a second thing I want to call to your attention, very important tonight, and that is the sermon of Stephen. Now, Stephen gives a great sermon. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 1 and going all the way down to verse 53, 
That is a sermon. It is the longest speech in the Bible given by this uh, deacon of the church, this lay preacher, Stephen, concerning the Lord Jesus. Now, he does two things here. First of all, he rehearses Jewish history. I want you to look at chapter 7, verse 2. Look at what he talks about first. He talks about Abraham. And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. So the first thing he talks about is Abraham. He then talks about Joseph. Go down to verse 9. And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph in to Egypt, but God was with him. So he starts with Abraham. He goes to Joseph. He then goes to Moses. Go down to verse 20. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. He then proceeds to David. He's covering now almost a thousand years in this sermon already. Look at verse 45, what he says about King David. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Then he talks about Solomon. Look at verse 47. But Solomon built him an house. And then finally, he ends up with Jesus in verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them with uh, which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. Look at verse 53. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. So here he is. He's rehearsing all of Jewish history. He begins with Abraham. He talks about Joseph. He goes to Moses, then to David, then to Solomon, then to Jesus. He covers 2,000 years almost in dealing with the ancient story of the Jews. So he proclaims the providence and the plan of God in bringing a Redeemer through Christ Jesus. But then he reveals to these Jews and the Sanhedrin how that they have rejected three things. Number one, they have rejected the Holy Ghost. Look down at verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Lord have mercy. Look at what he called them. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. So he tells them you have resisted the Holy Ghost. Second of all, you have resisted the Messiah. Look at verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. So they had rejected the Messiah, the Holy Spirit, and the law. Look at verse 53. Who have 
received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. So he calls their hand on it. He was bold in this sermon. Courageous. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a time in our Christian journey where we've got to stand for what is right. Right is right and wrong is wrong. The Bible says, woe to them that call wrong right and right wrong. And here is Stephen, and he is proclaiming with boldness and great courage the story of redemption through the prophets and now through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, unfortunately, that leads to the third point, and that is the stoning of Stephen. The stoning of Stephen. We read about this in verses 54 through 60. That was the basis of our text uh, for this evening. His uncompromising proclamation led to his martyrdom. It cost him his life. His stand led to his own murder. Now the Bible tells us that he was taken out of the city through the lion's gate because it's adjacent to the Kidron Valley, which proceeds down uh, to the Mount of Olives. So it would have been out this gate, because it would have been the only gate at the time, uh, other than the eastern gate. Well, that would not have occurred coming out of the eastern gate. And so it would have come out of this particular gate, or at least in this vicinity. So let me say a couple of things about the stoning of Stephen and his death. Number one, it was painful. It was painful. Look at verse 58. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen. Twice it mentions that. Calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So it was painful. Can you imagine the excruciating pain that he felt as those stones were hitting him. Second of all, it was prayerful. You know what he did? He didn't fight back. He, he didn't try to defend himself anymore, but he prayed. And The Bible tells us in verse 59, and they stoned him calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Isn't that beautiful? Sounds like the prayer of Jesus at the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. i tell you a third thing about his death. It was peaceful. Even though it was painful, sounds like an oxymoron, does it not? But it was peaceful because look at what happens in verse 60 again. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, notice what it says. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. That phrase is a reference to death. And what a peaceful way to put that. He just fell asleep. My wife, her dear father, uh, Joe Summers, he died in his sleep. He needed a heart and a lung transplant. He had gone to Birmingham, Alabama 
and uh, was a candidate to be on the transplant list. But when they began to talk to him about the surgery and all he would have to go through, had to be on medications for the rest of his life and how that his lifestyle would completely change, he asked them, how many years will I have if I don't do anything? And they said, well, you'll have about seven. And sure enough, about seven years later, as he was asleep, he went home to be with Jesus. What a peaceful way to go and to be with our Lord. And that's exactly what happened to Stephen. He just went to sleep. One other thing I want to say about his stoning and his death, and that is it was powerful. And you say, Pastor, powerful? Yes, because remember what the, what the term martyr means? It means a witness. And I want you to notice how he witnessed to one person in particular. Look down at verse 58. And cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Whose name was Saul. So here is Saul, a Jewish man, and the Bible tells us they brought his garments, laid them down at his feet, and you remember Saul was making havoc of the church. He hated Christians. He hated the church. He hated Christianity. He was a persecutor of those who were followers of Christ. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, this same Saul is on his way to Damascus. The Bible tells us that while he's making his way to Damascus, he was going to arrest Christians. He was going to put them to death just like he had been involved in the death of Stephen. And while he was making his way, he saw a great light. He was smitten to the earth. And the Bible tells us that he heard these words, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then Saul, who later would change his name to Paul, Paul the Apostle, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? You know, as a pastor, I often see people who linger. And they're ready to go. And they, they even pray, God, take me home. And sometimes those people will linger for days, maybe weeks. And you wonder, God, why don't you take them? But could it be that God has a special and perfect timing, and we know that he does, that that person is being a witness to someone else, being a testimony of their faith, uh, maybe to a family member, uh, someone in their community, someone that, that they work with or knows them, that needs to be influenced by their witness. Well, that's what happened with Stephen. He was a witness to a man named Saul who later becomes the Apostle Paul. Jim Elliott is an example of a modern-day Stephen and a modern-day martyr. Jim Elliott uh, went to the country of Ecuador as a missionary, and he went to uh, win the 
Alka Indians, those warriors in the Amazon rainforest, to Christ. Unfortunately, on January the 8th, 1956, the very ones that he had gone down to the country of Ecuador to win to Christ were the ones that took his life. Not only his, but other missionaries as well, martyrs for Christ. And prior to his death, he had written in his journal, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me, let me read that again, because that statement by Jim Elliott, the, wife, the husband of his wife being Elizabeth Elliott, that perhaps many of you have heard on the radio and her teachings before. She's now gone on to be with the Lord as well. But he wrote these words. He is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. May that be our prayer tonight, that we can be the best witness, the best martyr, not necessarily dying physically, unless that's in the will of God and His plan. But I'm talking about being a testimony. I'm talking about being a witness like Stephen to a man by the name of Saul that changed the life of Saul forever. Change somebody's life through your actions and your attitude, through the things that come out of your mouth, your conversation with them. Let others see Jesus in you. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, thank you for this great saint, St. Stephen. Lord, for his witness and his testimony. Lord, tonight may we all be challenged by such a great servant of God. So, Father, tonight, thank you for men like Jim Elliott, martyrs of their faith, who have paved the way with their own blood so that we, can have the opportunity of being the disciples and the followers of Christ that we need to be. They are our heroes. They are our models and examples. So bless, dear God, each and every person who's been a part of this study tonight, and we make this prayer in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, and I look forward to seeing you at our next appointed hour. And just remember that Jesus loves you, and so do I.